Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Jim, you just recently taught on the book of Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, although we won't really cover Song of Solomon that much, but, um, and I loved it. I loved your presentation. Oh, thanks, Craig. It was fantastic. I mean, um, very well organized. Um, but let's just dive in with that. Do you, what were some of the things that you, changes you would make if you were to teach it again? Well, there's a bunch of little things. So I think um, I just I don't know where to start. Uh, just in just in terms of a speaking exercise, because we touched on this a moment ago, talking about your presentation of the Psalms in Psalm 119. When you have a time uh, slot, and we and our we have an hour and fifteen minutes. Um, I used to kind of plan, you know, like an hour's and fifteen minutes worth of material. And well, that doesn't work because the people want to contribute, and there's a lot of interaction in the study. And um, not this one, but the one before, I said, I'm going to plan about 45 minutes, 15 minutes worth of material. There's plenty of time. And so that, for me, took, takes a lot of stress off uh, the timing of it, because uh, always uh, we, one of the, the biggest stressors is not so much covering the material. It's like, how do I time this out? And I say, I'm just going to, I'm going to time less. And, and, and what happened this time, I, I had about 50 minutes of speaking, and then any questions? And then we had uh about 20 minutes of of conversation about it and people really had lots of thoughts on it which was i really like so if part of that is if i feel like if there's no conversation people are like oh that's nice i gotta go and then, <laughs> you're not touching anyone right so the fact that it spurs thoughts i think helps you feel like it's reaching people and uh but then when i say five minutes at the end for song of songs and that was and that's all i really want to say about song of songs so that 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 the timing part was good. But to do that, then you end up a lot of things end up on the cutting room floor. And so some of the things we talked about, uh, like in the in the pre-podcast, we were talking about that. So like when I was talking about the three different ways of living, achievement-based life, cause-based life, uh, pleasure-based life. And I mentioned cause-based is DC. And then um, achievement-based is New York. Uh, in the pre-podcast, I had some stories about New York and New York's history. And I, I, you know, there's just no time to bring those out. So just cut those out. And there's a bunch of little details like that. Like if, if I, if I said, you know, you got two and a half hours to do this. Oh, okay, great. I got all kinds of, and then you, you, you just you lay it, put it all out there and I can keep cutting, 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 cutting to get it down now. And I think that I like this pattern now. I do like 45 to 55 minutes and then look at people interrupt you after you say two words and I got to, your hand goes up. Okay. Like, no sweat. We can talk. And you're not stressed about getting through your stuff, you know? So are there any oh, stories, any stories you, you know, looking back, you wish you would have swapped out or? Well, there's one or two in the appendix. One thing I do, I had this good stuff in the appendix. So we, let's get to that in this podcast a little bit. There's a couple of verses in there about, um, uh, um, uh, that we'll get to that, that I think are like money's the answer to everything. And we talked about a little bit in the pre-podcast, but we'll come back to that in a minute. So all, all, all those verses that, that I thought were like Solomon's wisdom, those all got in the cutting room floor. I took them all out like the night before. I had a whole section on, you know, I basically was saying, here's the, uh, 
the three sections of the book, we're going to talk about the professor's disillusionment, his attempts to find meaning, and his conclusion. And in the middle there was going to be all of the professor's wisdom. So when he says all these great sayings about, you know, there's a time for everything, or there's a, actually, I wasn't going to cover that, um, but uh, money's the answer to everything. And a great, great sayings is wisdom. I left all that out because I knew, you know, I'll never get through all this stuff. And I'll feel pressure to get through all this stuff. So that's some stuff I left out. Um, anyway, so that was that was one thing. Um, I think um, one of the things I think now as I look back on it, Greg, to kind of that I try to do, and my, I don't know if I do it well, is I try to really be clear that, you know, usually when I give these talks, clearly for me, Tim Keller is my largest influence spiritually. He's my largest influence spiritually in general, purposely. I mean, this is it changed my life attending Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and being there, listening to Tim Keller talk, and then listening to him afterwards for years. So, in in when I'm giving the talk, I try to give attribution clearly, and say these are not this this thought is not my thought. This comes from Tim Keller, or in general, a lot of the thoughts here are from, and sometimes they even say here's here are the names of the sermons. Go get them. Yeah, make sure I'm giving credit where credit is due, so no one says, "Wow, Jim, I can't believe you came up with this scheme to." Like, you know, say that there's a three ways to live, achievement, causes, and pleasure. Like, that's straight from Tim Keller. That's not me. And and try to make sure I give credit where credit is due. I don't want to, people say, brilliant idea, Jim, and say, well, it's, the brilliance is Tim Keller, not not me. Well, and so. you do a great job. You do a great job with that. And the reality is all of us stand on the shoulders of other people. Um, that's know, right. It's... Um, I love the I love the quote. Originality is the art of forgetting your source. <laughs> and I don't funny. even know who said that. <laughs> so it must be original with me. You that's funny. Me. You that's hilarious. Me that. Well, and Tim, look, Tim, Tim Keller. Uh, he himself says his sources are C.S. Lewis and Jonathan. There was other sources too, but that reminds me of another quote. I was going to bring this up when I was talking about a cause-based life and uh, I have this quote, I'm not sure I could, I'm sure I could Google in two seconds, find out who said it, but the saying is life is for others. We all know that's true. Life is for others. What the others are here for. I have no idea. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I just love that. Life is for others. What the others are here for. I have no idea. I thought that was funny. I'm sure I could Google it in maybe two seconds, find out who said it. Ah. Uh. Uh. So like a guy named W.H. Auden. That's his phrase? Yeah. W.H. Auden said that? That's what I, I don't even, tell me, is he a, what's he a poet? Oh, yeah. Famous author, poet. He wrote uh, great work, Stop All the Clocks. Um, Oh, W.H. Auden is fantastic. We are all here on earth to help others. What, what on earth the others are here? for i don't know wh <laughs> auden i was paraphrasing him thank you I'll, I'll make that in my notes wh auden it's uh yeah he's got a, a lot of it's great works and i think he might have been a believer too so anyway so that's wow. one thing like this fight distinguishing between what's keller and what's yours and then one of the big points in the talk as you may recall is when i got to chapter nine and brought the gospel in and that was one i was a, and you and i talked about ahead of time that was one i was a bit nervous about that's not keller that was my kind of take on it you know, and for better. I love that verse. Mention it. Mention it here, because for yeah. people that didn't. Sure. So maybe if you missed the talk or whatever, but was trying to say like, what's the professor's conclusion? Because he tries to find meaning in all these things and achievements and causes, and then a pleasure-based life. 
And then he says, uh, and I said, now the exciting conclusion, and, and, there, and there's in chapter 12, there's a verse where he says, this is the conclusion, fear God is keep his commandments. So I thought, aha, everyone's going to think that's what I'm going to go to. But I said, no, let's go to chapter nine first. And chapter nine, verse seven says, go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. And I tried to stress this, that that's pure gospel because it can't, that cannot mean universal salvation. And I, not to reiterate what I talked about, but this is what we talked about in the talk. But for the believer where God had, you, you put your faith in Christ, God has approved your works. And then, and then to bring up the gospel, it's not your works. He's approving. It's Jesus works attributed to you. It's what you just mentioned, substitutionary atonement, right? The whole gospel is in Ecclesiastes chapter nine. God has approved your works there. So therefore your standing is complete. And, and I really want to dwell on this, Greg. I hope this came out, this befuddled Christian view of pleasure. Like, can I, can I have an ice cream cone? You know, that whole notion, like, is it okay to have fun once in a while? Right. And uh, is it okay to just enjoy life? And I think that their Christian confusion, I generally believe that there's confusion that most Christians say, I don't really have a good theory on that. I don't really know if it's okay. I'm just, I'm going to sneak it in anyway. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get the ice cream cone. I'm going to, uh, or whatever it is. And I was trying to lend some coherency to that to say, look, you can't sin. You can't, don't get drunk. Right. Um, you know, you, but, but it's really okay to enjoy life. And, and, and in fact, Solomon goes on in chapter nine, the next verse, he says, let your clothes be white all the time, not black in mourning, right? Let your clothes be white all the time. Let not oil be lacking in your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. Now, here is one thing I thought of later that I wish I'd brought up. Solomon had like, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines? Right. right? So... So, so I mentioned at one point in the talk looked like Solomon would tell you if you're if you're saying if only I had endless stream of lovers life would be complete things would be great. And I said Solomon is saying oh no it wouldn't be it wouldn't be I've tried that, and I wonder if if you know God took Solomon and said look Solomon you're going to write Ecclesiastes a thought experiment before you do that I'm going to make a I'm going to make an experiment with you I'm going to let you be the human being that goes to the end of the three paths you're going to go full-on cause-based life, full-on achievement-based life, full-on pleasure-based life, you're going to get to the end of those paths. And even in the pleasure, I skipped this too, Greg, in the pleasure-based life, he talks about, you know, we, we I think you, we men read this, we see the harem part and all the wives and the women, but he talks about drinking wine too. So like substances and su- whatever, now he would say substance abuse, I just partied my heart out, right? Someone would right. use a different language. But he's like, I had wine and delight, the delights of men. I had all this stuff. So they're like, I'm pushing substance abuse too. I'm going to like really push the limits of how, of pleasure in every hedonistic way I can. Um, and I think maybe, so maybe God said, I'm, I'm going to let you do that to report back to the world on what that, what it's like at the end of the path. Right. It's not because God's not, because Christians say, well, God let him have all these wives. How could that be right? And, and God's saying, it's not right. It's not just because he did, it doesn't make it right. But it is does make a, a huge spiritual point. He had all that that you long for, that you know, uh, a lot of people long for. If only I could do these things, right? And, and they said, I had it, and it's not what you think. It would not do for you what you think it would do for you. And the part of the proof that I'd left out, Greg, is this verse nine, when he says, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love. It's singular. Yeah. 
It's not, hey, you know, and if you could be like me and have a hundred wives, knock yourself out. There's none of that. It's almost like a refutation of his own life, right? He comes yeah. back and says, let me tell you what you should do. The one woman you love, and Proverbs talks about the wife of your youth, right? Yes, yeah. Singular, singular, right? right. Like this, like, you know what you should do? <laughs> Don't do what I did. Lo enjoy life with the woman whom you love, with your spouse, all the days of your life. That's your reward. And and um, and I kind of wish I dwelled on that a little more, but um, because it it really is a kind of repudiation of his own um lifestyle with his harems and and all the rest. So that's good. That's good. Does it ever bother you? Because sometimes it's hard for me to reconcile in my mind how, you know, when Solomon was granted one wish and he asked God for wisdom. Yeah. And God gives him wisdom. And then yet his whole life is like this kind of like goes off the tr train tracks and as as um, it, it's like. I just for years, I was like, if he's so wise, how could he stray so far? Right. Do you think it's because God gave him worldly wisdom, but not necessarily spiritual wisdom? No, I think it's I I, I never thought of the distinction, Greg. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right. I think God said, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you these experiences and you're going to be able to reflect back on how 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 great those were and were do we were you able to find meaning in life in those ways because um well like because you, know, you you did you did a great job bringing out i love that you brought this out the whole idea of being under the sun yeah and how well, under, under, under when you're under the sun there's a there's a way there's a way that seems wise to a man right but right. the proverb says there's a way that seems wise to a man in the end it leads to death right but then but then in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's able to go above the clouds. Right. And that's where I kind of see, is there two, there's worldly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom and then there's godly wisdom. Oh, in that sense. Yeah. You know, well, maybe that's a way to say he did have it all because there's times he's using godly wisdom where he says, look, obey God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. And then he's below the clouds you know, saying you're just like animals and there's no point and we all die and death ruins everything. And, you know, so, you know, that's maybe your earthly wisdom. Right. So what else, uh, what um, else stood out to you? Well, a little bit like you, when you were saying that, uh, you know, the, you, when you were talking about Psalm 119, you say, oh, what a great thought someone said. The first verse is symmetry, the last verse. I think during ours, and I I, I know that for the sake of time, some of the Q&A uh, was edited out, so I'm not sure it'll make the podcast post. But during the during the Q&A, one of the commenters said, um, he made a really great point. I had said during the course of the talk that uh, one of the things that uh, Solomon concludes is that uh, everything's meaningless because of death. Uh, because death ends everything. So he says, look, I can achieve all this stuff, but I got to hand I can hand it off to someone else who's going to inherit it. And they might be a fool. So death renders a lot of his life meaningless. But uh, uh, it was Tim Miller, actually, who, who uh, in our Bible study, who chimed in and said, it's actually two things that he talks about. 
And the point is that you don't control either of them. One is death that you have no control over. And the other one is time that you have no control over. And that's the point of that long passage at the beginning of chapter three, mm. where it was made into a folk song to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. You know, uh, it's chapter three, verse two. Uh, Starts at verse one. There's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, and so on and so on. And the point was, you don't control death. You can be as wise as you want. You don't control death, and you don't control time. It's out of your control, and that's what gives him the wisdom. And as soon as, of course, as soon as he said it, like just like you, I, when you the Psalm 119, yeah. first and last verse, that you were talking about in, our, in the last podcast. Why didn't I, I think of that? Oh, it was such a great, it's so great. <laughs> but that's, that, that's the way the Lord works. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. And I think that's one of the actual beauties of getting, that's why God wants Christians to gather together in fellowship, right? There are things right. That, you'll that, see. that is one of the nice things about the allowing for other people, like the, the, a community of minds. That's right. You know, cause you, you do. Um, yeah. I mean, even sometimes when you and I are talking, like we'll read a one of us will make a comment and be like, "Oh, I never thought of that. I never saw it there." Yeah. You know, and that those are those are awesome times. So that so yeah, you you, uh, um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was I was a good moment, and I and I think that's a that's actually a really great thing about it. So, um, so there were a couple other things. There was like I said, the professor's wisdom that ended up on the cutting room floor. But I think I think we talked about this a little bit um, during the uh, pre-podcast. That the, the verse that has money's the answer to everything, and how hard people stumble on that verse. And I think I mentioned, I think we talked about this in the pre-podcast, Greg. That a lot of the commentaries I read skip that verse entirely. They don't know what to make of it. It's, and it's mm-hmm. odd. They're talking about the few verses before, and they have all these commentary. They skip that verse and they go right to the next one. Like I, there's if they're throwing up their hands, and yeah. how could how could he say how could he say money's the answer? What does it mean that he says money's the answer to everything? And for our listeners, it's it's chapter ten, verse nineteen. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. You think how does the Bible say money's the answer to everything? How could that be? And the answer is the answer, first of all, is that he cannot possibly mean that he really thinks money is the answer because he's just talked about how achievement is not fulfilling. And he tried that and it didn't work. So he can't mean that. But he, he very, very quickly, all the verses around are talking about bad leadership and bad kingdoms. And how uh, so what he's saying is, you know, these types of bad leaders, their kingdoms fall apart. And they're the ones who are drinking wine and eating their meals and enjoyment and just say money's the answer to everything. They're living, they're running their kingdom for money. So it's just another example of bad leadership. That was one commentary that made that clear. And I, then the light bulb went off and said, oh yeah, of course, that's the obvious meaning. So um, yeah, that was that was one thing. And then the other, um, the other uh, verses are really great and you know they're it's just like when you're doing the psalms there's so many great ones like psalm 139 you wish you could dwell on them but there's the famous passage in ecclesiastes two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor this is chapter four verse nine yeah the cord of three strands exactly it's so great right yeah Yeah. what is and do you tell me what does it mean greg well i mean the cord of three strands is the the third strand is is god it's jesus it's right. it's uh the key to 
a strong marriage um is to put um is let letting uh letting jesus be that third strand and three strands tied together make a strong rope right right and so that the whole pastor is talking about two 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 and the last one says a cord of three strands and you're right but the lord's there in the in that relationship it just changes the whole makes it so strong and changes it so that's a, such a great verse you yeah. just read you don't you want to you just don't want to leave it out right um but in the interest of time that was one and then uh, there's another one in chapter 9 verse 11 that says uh, i have seen something else under the sun again this is under the sun thinking right the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned but time and chance happen to them all mm. and that notion of like randomness of life it's like uh it doesn't always work out fairly the way you think it's going to work out you know the race is not to the swift the battle is not always to the strong and it's uh it's what we talked about with wisdom literature you know proverbs says this is the way generally it should work you do these you live according to christian principles biblical godly principles life turns out well and ecclesiastes and job come along and say well not always there's a lot of randomness randomness of life too and um I know, and and then uh, Greg, I was going to say, I, I remember quoting this once to uh, someone, a, a young businessman, and he said, uh, "I said like there's so much randomness in life," and he said, and his his response was, "Yeah, but I'd like to see the percentages." <laughs> but you know, if you if you work hard, you do these things, make the right moves, chances are, life will turn out well. And and maybe there's some wisdom in his response because yeah, you know that you you should try to do the right thing in life and work hard with integrity and all those other principles of living. And generally speaking, yes, there is randomness in life, but generally speaking, life does go better. So, um, yeah. And then anyway. you didn't talk about, uh, Ecclesiastes 11 verse one, cast your bread upon the waters. Yes. You'll find it after many days. Isn't that a, that's a song that goes like that. Cast your bread upon the waters. Um, I'm not sure, you know, was that speaking of generosity? Give your material things to the needy? I don't know. Cast your bread upon the waters. The song ties that together with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Who did that song? It's an old Christian kind of folk song. Um, one of our listeners will know and they'll let us know. Um, but... Uh, no, I missed that verse, Greg. I don't. I'm not sure. I don't even know what it means. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters; you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune will occur upon the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain on the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Yeah, that's an that's an that's that's one of those that almost sounds like a Stephen Wright like. Like uh, saying, if a tree falls to the south or the north, where it falls, there it lies. That reminds me of Stephen Wright, where he says, "Man, if your if your car keys accidentally fall into a river of molten lava, let them go, because well, man, they're gone." <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, wisdom, wisdom. Uh, uh, that's that's. Yes, there was an old movie I remember where the catchphrase was "Wherever you go, we always remember wherever you go, there you are." There you are. Yeah. It's called, yes, it's a tautology. It's a it's self evident. 
Um, so some of the commentators I'm looking at think that 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 cast your bread upon the waters is all about generosity. It's giving your material things to the needy in a way that might seem wasteful. Wasteful is like throwing your bread upon the waters, but then you'll be rewarded. So it's like do something now for a reward that cannot be immediately seen. Yeah, that's good. You cast your bread in the water. But you brought this. But you, but you did bring this out, like that. Towards these chapters, they are, they're almost like proverbs. Right. It's wisdom literature. Here's some thoughts I have on how to live and what, right, what life is about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, and and the right, like a part of this, there's these, and this kind of ties in with the way I was talking about pleasure, how it's okay to have pleasure and enjoy, just enjoy life. There's a phrase he kept, he mentions, like it comes up three times. I saw there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. It's almost the same exact phraseology. It comes up in chapter five, verse 18, chapter three, 22, and then chapter two, verse 24. And the key for that thought was, it's in chapter two. It says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Like enjoy your work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? And the point of it is, you have to be with him first. If you're with him, if you're in him, if you're saved, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, then you can find happiness in these things because you're not looking for them to form the base of your identity. You're free from that and you can actually enjoy them. But that, I thought that was actually great verses, but they're redundant with a thought I was already talking about from chapter nine, verse seven. So I kind of, there was no point to say it again. I just kind of left it out. Yeah. Is that the last thing you would change? Or yeah, I think so. And then um want to talk about Song of Solomon for a minute. Yeah, I thought I I thought you did a great job uh five minutes. Yeah, expressing the different views of it. I thought that was very interesting and how they're very adamant, very strong feelings against the uh, people that believe different than them. That's right. That's right. And big names. I didn't mention this, but John MacArthur is one is literal. Literalville. No, absolutely not allegorical. No, it's just literal. It's just all it's just a lover and really. Well, and I think there, I think there are people who say, if I don't, I will dilute scripture somehow. There really it seems like that's the backdrop of you know but there's for, so much there's so much in the old testament that there's all kinds of allegories about Israel. Oh, yeah. And and the, I think, let I me mean, find the verse now uh, where the Bible itself, um, New Testament writers refer to a, the Old Testament in allegorical terms. Mm. Uh, Galatians, this is this is the one I was thinking of. In Galatians 4, Paul is talking, Galatians 4.24, um, he's talking about um, freedom and Christian liberty and like the, you know, the law versus grace. And uh, he talks about Abraham had two, verse 22, Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. And then verse 23, the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son of the free woman according to the promise. So he's talking about, you know, grace versus works. Chapter verse 24, this is Paul writing. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to 
the present Jerusalem. We don't have to talk about it anymore, but he's clearly reading that Old Testament passage allegorically. He says so. <laughs> it's not like it's wrong to do that. You know, you right. do have to interpret scripture. You don't get it too far, but it really felt like almost a, a hostility from the literal people towards the allegorical point of view. Like, oh, no, no. Oh, no don't go there. Not, not one minute. So, um, do you are you do you feel solidly where you stand on this? I've always thought it was allegorical. I thought the whole beauty of it is allegorical. I've heard, I thought the whole point of like, why is there a love story in the middle of the Bible? And yeah. then the literal people say, well, it's just there to say romance is okay and sex is okay. It's like a little lesson for us all. Okay, that's nice, but it's it's such a gushy love poem. Yeah. Oh, and you talk about how Psalm one fifty one was not canon people like for early on song of songs supposedly from very early on so people said oh that's inspired scripture like really yeah i mean this is long before christianity this is in the jewish supposedly they they easily right away that's that's inspired because they thought it was this is really allegorically about god's love for his people yeah and it is it's just now we say his people are really christ the church christ bride right yeah but they always thought that way, like this is God gushing over us, and that's why we gush over him, because for the whole Bible, soup to nuts, start to finish, is meant to be a love story. I had you, and I lost you, and I'll go to any length to get you back. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, I, I've kind of come down to the allegorical side. I was, I was actually surprised to see people strongly against reading it that way. I thought, okay, well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, that's the way I feel too. I mean, and it fits with the rest of Scripture. It fits with kind of the overall theme of the Bible that it, it the Bible is a love story from right. it's God's love for us and how we're the ones who stray away from Him. And um, so well, look at Hosea. Look at the whole book of Hosea, right? Where the God tells the prophet, "I want you to marry a prostitute." Mm -hmm. The whole thing is an allegorical relationship to represent. God's, you know, love for his people and how his people have gone astray and uh and yet God still comes after them and loves them. Loves loves them. Yeah. So it's written uh, by Solomon and he's Solomon loved all these different women, but here he's writing about one woman. Right. 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 Which oh, I, wonder so, that, I wonder if that ties into that verse you mentioned earlier that you know Right. Hey, the one the one the I lost. One, the one that you really love. Maybe. Right. Um, be a be a one woman man kind of thing. Yeah, that's um, right. And the I, the inverse is true. Be a one guy gal, I guess, or however you'd say it. Be a one man woman. Right. Uh -huh. That's interesting. Anything else about song? You well, yeah. They, they I do. I did find it interesting. I, I read one interpretation how they tried to. It's all written in first person. My lover is this. My lover is that. And there's some headings that kind of give you idea of who's saying what and when. But the notion of who is saying what and why, there were different interpretations of that. And the one I read in, in the class was one commentator that said, okay, this is the way the pattern, girl meets boy, girl separated from boy, girl meets king, king likes girl, girl resists king, girl reunited with boy. That's just one interpretation. There were others that read it differently, like what the point is. So um, that one made a lot of sense to me when I went back and read it, but there's there's different, thought, different points of view on that. So... Um, Mm. I'm not sure what there is to, be, is to be gained by going down that rabbit hole. I thought that's one way to look at it that makes sense, but you know, 
There's yeah. not much to debate that. Well, Jim, I think this has been good. I we've uh is there any anything else you want to say about Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon? I think there's um there's one thought, but I think uh you can probably cut this out later in, in uh post and edit this out. Uh but but I'll, I'll tell you, but I I think you would probably edit this out. Um we talk about that idea of money is the answer to everything. I've often I I don't know if I ever told you this, Greg, but when I went to New York and worked there, uh and I thought about telling this story when we were there, but I I cut this out too. Um, you know, my dad worked in a factory and never, I don't think he ever made more than twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars a year, something like that. And when I went to New York and the amounts of money, one of the first deals I did as a lawyer, did I, did I tell you this? The guy, we, he made, a, we, he, um, we sold his business. It was a mutual fund business. He made $125 million personally, and he bought the, the biggest, the most expensive apartment in Manhattan at the time. Um, I think it was $50 million. Maybe, maybe it was like a hundred million dollars. I don't remember. It was like, it was such an astronomical amount of money. And I just never seen money. People think, you know, my parents want to make sure I had a job that had health benefits, you know, make sure you get right. a job with benefits. Cause that's when you were flipping burgers in high school, you didn't have benefits. So it's important when you go to college, you get a job with benefits. And these are people making hundreds of millions of dollars. And and then, then the thought, Greg, was not just the, not just the personal wealth of individuals, because that was staggering to begin with, but the sheer size of the money. When you start dealing with the capital markets, so you start dealing with helping companies access capital, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at a time. And and then I realized, here's my big thought on. And this was actually my first thought when I read "Money's the Answer to Everything." Um. The money, the money is so enormous. It's almost an entity unto itself. The money is almost like a living and breathing entity that oh. is always, always hungry and seeking return. And people, governments try to grab it and, and say, well, I'd like some of that. And I'm going to divert it to this purpose. And the money says, nope, we're going to go over here. So if the Chinese government, for example, clamps down on Hong Kong and says, no, we don't like this. We want to take the, the, all the money. will say, OK, we're going to go to Singapore. And the money will just move. The money is, the money is like as, as cold and, and brutal as outer space and as living and breathing as a newborn baby and wow. hungry. It, is, it never sleeps. You know that phrase from the movie Wall Street, money never sleeps. Yeah. Money is always on the lookout. And there's a sense in which it's always seeking a productive return. So the the, the vast quantity of money, not the, the few pennies you and I get to take home as a paycheck, but the vast quantity of money is roaming the surface of the earth, like as if the earth is formless and void, and the money is always, always circling the globe, looking for a productive use to cultivate creation and make it more productive. Wow. If there's a solar panel plant in the Philippines, it'll find it. And if there's a lithium mine in uh, Iceland, it'll or Greenland, it'll find it and fund those. They're constantly seeking the, the productive, productive, productive. And somebody says, you know, what you ought to do do this other cause over here. Nope, with well, the money, will yep, we'll do that for a while, but then move over here. And the the money is a living and breathing entity in a way that I never expected. And that was that was my New York experience. So you can cut all that out from the talk, Greg. That just, is 
No, that's very interesting. And that makes me want to, uh, we should talk sometime about whether or not there'll be money in heaven. Well, yeah, interesting. Can you, can you think... have can you have can you have heaven without money or currency or you know? Well, you could say money. The money itself isn't bad. It's the love of money. It's the abuse of money. It's the greed, right? But as a medium of exchange, it's an efficient medium of exchange. So you kind of need all that. And if you say if you're in a world where everyone is completely other centered, I'm not hoarding. I'm not greedy. I'm not worried about my next my next day or my next meal. So. I think there can be absolutely be money in heaven. It just um it's uh but it wouldn't be viewed the same. It wouldn't have the same significance and it wouldn't have the same distortions it has here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode and remember on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.